Thank okay. you, Jim, for joining us on the Inroads podcast. Our purpose and mission in having these conversations is to get to the heart and the core of who you are. And that has brought you to what you do, right? And so we're going to talk about what you do, and I'm going to ask you in a moment what that is. But then I want to really make sure that the conversation carries into the character of your being and your virtues and your values, and, and that will lead to how you got there. So tell us about you. First and foremost, I'm a dad and enjoy doing that immensely right now. So yeah. I'm the father of two great boys, 12-year-old and a 9-year-old, Lucas and Nicholas. So yeah. uh, I'll just stop right there. That's it. Game over. We're done. <laughs> great kids. We're out. <laughs> but, you know, I think what I really consider what I do right now is I help individuals, teams, and organizations accelerate performance through the framework that we call Flawless Execution through Afterburner, which is a company I founded 27 years ago now. Okay. And um, it's a team of consultants, speakers, and trainers made up of former elite military professionals like fighter pilots, Navy SEALs, that teach this framework that helps companies stay at the same rate of change or slightly ahead of the rate of change in chaotic situations. So okay. we help companies plan and execute their can't-fail missions, if you will. Okay. Now, what? how did you come to that? Well, I uh, was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. I was an F-15 pilot. So... I went from farm boy to fighter pilot in a very short amount of time. Literally, I was like most fighter pilots. I was a, a, an average guy, so to speak, and went through this framework that the Air Force put me through. And in a very short amount of time, I was flying one of the most sophisticated jets on the, on the planet. And I was uniquely struck by that because before I got into the Air Force, I was an athlete in college. I was a baseball player, scholarship athlete at the University of Kentucky. Wanted to become a professional athlete. That didn't work out. I went to work in corporate America for about a year and a half, so I got a little bit of business stink on me. And then when I got into the Air Force, I thought it was unbelievable that I could go from not knowing anything about flying to being an F-15 pilot in 16 months. So I vowed on that day when I soloed the F-15 at Luke Air Force Base that I was going to figure out how they took a farm boy to a fighter pilot through this process mm -hmm. because I knew that if I could figure out those simple frameworks and apply it to business mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or athletes, yeah. they could perform better. So you said twice in that description in the shortest time. That seemed to be surprising to you or was it a mark of some kind of expectation that either far exceeded or where, where does it come from that you feel like that's so notable? Well, it definitely surprised me. Um, and I think it surprised a lot of the folks that have gone through those same, uh, that same crucible, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you go to talk to a special operator or maybe a SEAL or another fighter pilot, they were probably somewhat amazed at how quickly they went through the pipeline, if you will, and then came out on the other side a changed person and a person that had a lot more responsibility, were executing at a very, very high level mm -hmm. with an enormous amount of not only pride and esprit de corps for their fellow troops or airmen, but for the outcome of the mission. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really, really cool and yeah. unique. And I knew in a way it was lightning in a bottle. If I could figure out a way to create a process or a formula and be able to release that into the world, if yeah. you will, uh, I knew it would have a profound effect on a lot of people, and it has. So when you were this farm boy, 
did you think that that would be exactly what you accomplished, putting it lightning into a bottle and creating this afterburner company? Oh no, I was just hoping to be a fighter pilot. So take me back and get to, off the farm. <laughs> so take me back to the farm days. So we look at the leadership characteristics and often wonder, are they nature versus nurture? And which parts of our journey align and affirm or challenge those? So what parts of you being that same person that you were on the farm carried through all the way to where you're at today with Afterburner? What, number one, what would those characteristics be? And number two, do you think they're nature or nurture? I think they're two. I think one is pursuit. Okay. I knew that I was built from a young man to pursue things. Okay. So if you look at everything that I enjoyed doing, uh, professionally and recreationally, it's pursuing something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a fisherman. I like to hunt. I've, I was an athlete. I was a fighter pilot. So it was always about pursuing, uh, uh, actively chasing a goal. Mm -hmm. And usually it was a fairly moving target, if mm -hmm. you will. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect to me is being an instructor, okay. not a teacher, an instructor. The way I look at it is I think there's a big difference between instructors and teachers. Instructors are people that do exactly how to do something, and they are now instructing mm -hmm. other people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they were very proficient. So I was an instructor as a fighter pilot. First, I was a really good fighter pilot, right. and then I became an instructor. We're teaching, and you probably had many teachers. You wondered if the teacher could really perform if they yeah. really had to. So for me, those were the two variables that are, are the two common characteristics, I think, that have gotten to me to where I am today. Okay. If you were to take that, and let's expand on it a little bit. Let's say you're driving this car. You have your GPS. Your GPS is essentially your map. All of us have an internal GPS that helps guide us and tell us if we're taking the turns the right way or maybe left. Who knows? Carrie, are you trying to explain to me what a GPS is? No, That's I'm trying to dig into your internal okay. compass. <laughs> I did but tell yes, you I was you're a fighter pilot, it. right? Yeah, yeah that's okay, true. That's well. true. But this is where we're digging deep because we're not following. <laughs> we're not following anything external. If you were to look at the internal side of the ethics, morals, and values, and you add the pursuit that you talked about and the instructor capabilities that you talked about, there has to be some kind of ethical and moral compass that exists within you as well. You have to make a lot of tough decisions on what's right or what's wrong in, in every single one of your parts of your journey. Where Tell me about a time where that's been tested and you have had those types of morals challenged and what you did to overcome that. Well, first, where, where does that strength of having principles, guardrails, and guidelines, I, I think they were laid down in me just by my mom and dad. I mean, you know, uh, I, I would say that my best friends throughout my life have been my mom and dad. I mean, yeah. they, 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 were, they were just instrumental in aligning uh, me as a young man and, and my sisters. You know, having a strong mother and father present in your life I think was really important to me. Mm -hmm. I get challenged on every turn <laughs> around principles and morals, and I think our children are today as well. So I think really having a clear, what we call it afterward, an HDD, a high definition destination, and that is understanding your future in great detail. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge believer that you can't predict the future, but you can design the one that you want. Mm -hmm. And the more detail and the more resolution you have on that dream or that finished product, if you will, the more compelling it becomes. And once you understand that, then the principles and guidelines that were set down from, for me, for my mom and dad, are the guardrails that kept me mm -hmm. in the middle pursuing 
any of those things that I was pursuing in life. So, so designing your high definition destination, as you said, some might think that that leads to a set of expectations that ultimately may make you feel like failure if you don't if you don't reach it because roadblocks happen, you get flat tires, detours occur. It's not always what that high definition destination may have looked like or what you had thought it would be. So how, where has that happened for you in life and how have you handled that? For me, I've always set high definition destinations that were, they were pretty big mountains to climb. So I already knew that, you know, there's never a direct line mm -hmm. to the HDD. There's gonna be detours, there's gonna be setbacks. Um, you know, and that's, I think, part of, you know, setting HDDs that are truly compelling. Mm -hmm. So for me, they were can't fail HDDs, meaning I wanted to become a fighter pilot because I expected that I was going to do something that not everybody could do in life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go back to Kentucky and necessarily do maybe what my dad did or maybe what other folks were doing, you know? So for me, uh, going home was not an option mm. once I decided to set sail on this path to becoming a fighter pilot. Uh, I knew it was gonna be tough. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if I look at other things like starting a business or uh, even some of the things I do as a hobby, you know, we set the bar pretty high. Yeah. And, um, but the expectation is that you'll get there, but the expectation is it's never a straight line. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. If it's easy, it's not compelling mm -hmm. for me and not very, it's not something that's going to be all encompassing because the harder the goal, I think the harder the outcome, the more all encompassing the pursuit becomes. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And that narrows back down to the fact that you are a person that likes pursuit. So that feeds you in an intrinsic way. That's right. So picture back to this road that you're driving on. It's nighttime. You have headlights on. You can only see 200 feet in front of you. And there's just a world of darkness and unknown. How do you deal with ambiguity and uncertainty? And how, when you're in that situation, does it make you feel? Well, what I would immediately do if I thought I was going to have that situation where the forward projection of my headlights was only 200 feet, I would invest in better ones so I could see further. And then I would also widen my field of view mm -hmm. and create some lights on either side of the car. So I have azimuth either way. So you would try to control the outcome a little bit more, make it a little more clear. No, no, it's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I would want to know as much about my external environment as possible mm -hmm. and bring as much illumination to bear as possible before I started driving faster. Okay. Because the length of my focal point would determine my velocity of pursuit. Okay. It still doesn't stop all of the change and ambiguity that could exist around you. So if you came across something unexpected, how do you handle that? Uh, after I said a couple of four letter words, <laughs> I would apply brakes to maximum extent possible and hope my anti-like brakings work. If not, I would use my cat-like reflexes uh -huh. to do an evasive maneuver to miss the deer and not hit the guardrail and go over the cliff. So because I had already done my studies and I had already known that was the outside environment. So I can't turn right. I'm going to have to turn left. I might have to hit the deer. If I'm hearing what you're saying, you're saying preparation is the key to success, and then whatever happens after that, you just got to go with it. As long as you're prepared and you have all your data and your information, some things just happen. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go as that far to agree with that statement, but I think you're on the right track. Well, then, what would you? What change it to how you would agree? Based on people that have been in those situations before and their debriefs mm -hmm. and the lessons learned from those thereafter, would predispose me 
on how I'm going to react when that happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. Okay. See, that's better. That's your answer. It's one thing that I think we all face. There's a lot of people that go into something new and they are very uncomfortable with it because they have never been where they've been before. And that seems like a statement of obviousness. But ultimately, that's where a lot of the internal anxiety comes from. And people start to question themselves. And that's where the fear of failure starts to come in. So based on your record and your background, it seems like you fear nothing, right? So there has to be, though, some kind of point where you felt afraid and you had to overcome that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's that sounds contrite to say you fear nothing. I, I think, you know, before you start on your pursuit, you want to be confident in that inertia, if you will. Yep. And that's based on the planning and research that you do. Mm-hmm. But it's also based on people that have gone there before. So are you open to bringing in other lessons learned mm-hmm. before you start on your path? keeping your perceptions open and taking input and data to make sure your decisions are on point, learning and being agile. So that could be another way of looking at it. I like that, I like that. Were you gonna say something? No, I can't wait for the next question. This has gotta be the weirdest one he's seen all day. <laughs> 200 feet headlight, black all around. How do, uh, okay, keep going. You gotta follow the analogies. Yeah. It's all the analogies, it's where we're going with that. You, you wish you'd just do a show. Instead of doing a, an interview, just, the, this it is should a be the Carrie show. It's really the miniseries. It's not really a podcast. It's a miniseries. Okay. Same. Anyway. All right. Okay. So. So when do I cry? Now we've talked. Well, I can't cry if you, you can't cry if you talk about all the mechanics of how the headlights work. So that, that, that's the point. We've got to get you underneath the headlights. We've got okay. to get you into the, under the hood of the engine. Some points you've had breakdowns and you've had to have a tow truck come help you in that vein, who has helped you along the way? Well, I think my faith in God has especially been important in the last several years. I think when I was younger, I I, I don't know if I necessarily leaned on that too much, but as I get older, that voice is much clearer. It's hard to define, it's hard to put your finger on. And then certainly um, my peer group, family members, but I think almost more than anything, it's, my ability to look at some of the things that I've done in my life in the past and just looking at patterns. Mm-hmm. I can now start clearly seeing certain patterns that drive certain outcomes. Yeah. So for me right now, it's to get quiet and look back and start looking at some of those patterns. And the other thing that's pretty unique about the life I've lived too is you know, as a mentor, as an instructor, and, and you know, if you look at what I've done over the last you know, 25 plus years at Afterburner, I get a unique perspective on what's working and not working for other business leaders and entrepreneurs and athletes. So, you know, finding those patterns uh, start to really start drive you into areas Mm -hmm. that give you confidence to move forward. How would you define success? I hope that I can't ever define it because if I do, I might have found it, mm-hmm. and then there's nothing left. Then there's no more pursuit. That's right. Mm. So I, I, I hope that I never can quite define success. So where do you find your fulfillment along the way? In the pursuit of being successful. I Does the road determine the speed at which you go around a corner, or is it the vehicle that you're in? Both. Or is it your ability to push the vehicle to the ragged edge? 
Both. Is it the road or the vehicle? Okay. Or you? I would argue both. I would ask you though, which of those are you? Are you uh, the road, the vehicle, or the ragged edge? Oh, I'm definitely not the road. Definitely not the vehicle. I'm definitely driving the vehicle. But I'm asking you what's more important, the road or the vehicle? Both. Okay. Does it have to be an either or? It's an and answer. I'm picking both. Okay. So let's talk about a truck versus a Ferrari going around a corner. You have to just control it differently. Okay. And be mindful of that, right? You can't flip this on me. Oh, I'm not. I'm asking the question. Okay. I'm just, I just thought it'd be an interesting road analogy. The road is important, but you can drive on any surface. Does it have to be a certain kind of road, right? Well, is the surface flat or is it banked? We're talking about cornering right now. Mm, I don't know. Which one would you prefer to Did go you around? That a banked corner or a flat one? He's, he's thinking we've absolutely lost our mind. But it, we could tie this back to some kind of... So, Jim. Yes, ma'am. If you were taking a corner in a Ferrari, what is more important, the road or the car? I think the road plays a big part in it. Mm -hmm. If you can pick the road. Because we already know the Ferrari, and a lot of people know me, I, you know, I'm going to push the car as hard as I can, mm -hmm. right? But the road determines the capability of both your driving and the car itself. So if the turn is banked, I know I'm going to be able to get a lot more performance out of both versus uh, a flat What if corner. you can't pick? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Then you're going to have to adjust. You're just going to have to go with it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so... At the end of your journey, all roads lead to home. Okay. The end of your journey, you're looking back in the rearview mirror. How do you know that you would have lived this life well? That I died relaxed and the people and my family members that continue whatever legacy that I'm leaving have positive and lasting effects due to some of the things that I invested in when I was alive. How will you know that? What will you see when you look back? If I'm relaxed when I die, I will know that I had created legacy. If I'm uneasy, I know I probably didn't do a great job. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I heard a one-star general told me this one time when uh, I flew him up to DC after a mission and we're at the bar talking. And he said, you know what? Maslow, when he died on his deathbed, turned to his son with his last breath and said, excuse me, he said, son, I got this wrong. It's not self-actualization. It's a legacy. Mm. And I'm so glad you're here. And wow. I'm so glad I had you as a son. And he died. So there you go. Wow. How's that for Bam. profound? That's it. It's pretty significant. I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I would too. If you were to give the people listening to this who are in awe of your background and all of your technical fact-dropping related to headlights. Well, hopefully they aren't, but <laughs> in awe of anything, because I'm certainly not, but well, I'm trying really hard. What would your parting words of advice be on anything? Wow. I don't think that I could give any advice that all of us haven't heard over and over and over again, but certainly it's be curious and passionate about your pursuit and never quit pursuing. Always have purpose in your life. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Carrie. It's been a pleasure having you. It has been a very fast road. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>